Assalamu alaikum. You are listening to Mommy Wall Muslim, a podcast designed with the Muslim American parent in mind, addressing how to raise Muslim American kids born into a post 9 11 world. We will cover topics ranging from potty training to politics, and no topic is off limits. Along with our expert guests, we'll discuss what's new in the Muslim American diaspora or just what's new at our own kitchen tables. Join us, Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jaffrey, who have a combined eight kids and 25 years of parenting experience, as well as just enough crazy between them while they pioneered this journey we call Mommy Wall Muslim. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mommy and Wall Muslim podcast with your co-hosts, uh, Uzma Jaffrey and Zeba Hassan in absentia, because unfortunately she has fallen ill again. So please keep her in your prayers. And in our introductory podcast, we talked about um, people that we see, young folks who are really killing it and um, living the Muslim way and the Muslim identity, the way we want our kids to do as first and second generation Americans. We're really anxious about the future generation of Islam in America. Well, Sometimes when you see these kids, the first thing that we ask is, where's their mom, man? I need to talk to their mom. So I'm very happy to introduce somebody who I cannot wait to meet his mom, Sajad Shah, the founder of the Instagram sensation Muslims of the World and author of the book by the same name. It was a number one bestseller on Amazon. Welcome today to Mommy Wa Muslim. Thank you so much, Uzma. I'm excited to be here and to be talking with you and being on your podcast. Let's start with Muslims of the World. Can you explain the the movement for those people who already live in an ostrich hole and don't even know what it is? <laughs> yes, no, for sure. So Muslims of the World is a very interesting project. I started about, it was probably three and a half to four and a half years ago. And what I was noticing is at that time is that a lot of the Muslim youth were dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, dealing with drugs, alcohol. Uh, Many of them were having sex, even dating, all these different things. And I was starting to kind of figure out the reason why. And, you know, my background is entrepreneurship, so I absolutely love trying to solve difficult problems. So I wanted to find out what is the reason behind all of this. So I realized that a big part of it is that there is no Islamic identity to that a lot of these Muslim youth can, you know, relate with and resonate with, and they don't even have really good role models to look up to. So about three and a half, four years ago, I started an Instagram page called Muslims of the World, and the idea was simple. Take a picture of a Muslim, share their story. And these stories range from stories about women empowerment, racism, love, refugees. Here was a platform that if you have something positive to say, you're a Muslim, you have a story you want to share, here is a platform where you can share your voice and share your opinions. And we started this platform, and before we knew it, we had thousands and thousands of Muslim youth following this page. And then one thing led to the next. We turned it into a nonprofit. Nonprofit turned it into a book. Book become a number one Amazon bestseller. And now we've been doing a world tour for the past seven, eight months, talking to adults, Muslim youth, families about the importance of being proud Muslim. Tell us a little bit about your background, your childhood, because, you know, a massively cool idea like this doesn't just pop into your head. Why did it come to you? I was in a very interesting place in the sense that I went to a public high school. I went to a public middle school. And then I went to Butler University for college. So I was always surrounded by, you know, non-Muslim people. And, you know, being a young Muslim boy, one of the few Muslim boys at a high school, for example, that has 4,000 students, after a while, you start to become embarrassed about who you are. Um, And my school was predominantly a white school as well. So not only are you dealing with the fact that you have a different religion, but also you're the only uh, brown person in the school. 
And, you know, I kept on trying to fit in. And alhamdulillah, actually, I was able to fit in pretty well. I was homecoming king, prom king, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, um, no matter how hard I tried to fit in, you know, I had a different skin color, different name, different culture, different religion, different rituals and traditions. So I kept on trying to fit in in places that I didn't belong. And if you keep on trying, it's not going to ever change. So this, I, I went through this in high school. I went through it in college. And then finally, I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to just embrace who I am as an individual, uh, that I am a Muslim. I am a Pakistani. I do have brown skin. And when I finally did that, so many doors started to open up. So many opportunities started to open up. My mental health was in great condition. And then I'm looking at all these other Muslims who are still kind of in this trap. And I was like, man, what if we just made it popular or cool for Muslims to be who they actually are instead of us always having to imitate or, you know, try to, um, you know, be somebody that we're not. So that's why I started that platform, Muslims of the World. And I, I, I wanted to showcase normal Muslim people with that, that are funny, that are brave, that are beautiful, that are smart, that are all these different things that we our Muslim community has so that Muslim youth could look up to that. And uh, that's really where it started. And that's where we're at today as well. Why do American Muslim kids have to hear that today? Well, I think that if you go to any like Muslim Muslim youth group and you ask them, for example, what do they want to do when they grow up? It's almost always the same answer. They want to be a doctor. If you ask them what kind of activities do they like, it's normally always the same activities. So in a, in a way, a lot of the Muslim youth have been like, they've been forced to be put in this box. And this box really lacks creativity. It lacks entertainment, it lacks fun, it lacks outside-the-box thinking. So I wanted to showcase that, hey, you know, there's Muslims out there that are photographers. There's Muslims out there that are musicians. There's Muslims out there that are traveling the world. There's Muslims out there that are billionaires. There's Muslims out there that are fitness models. And I wanted to show that because I wanted us to realize that, hey, if you can see all that, then there's no reason to try to act like we're something that we're not. It's it's awesome to be Muslim. It's great to be a Muslim. And for that reason, um, it's important that they see that so that they don't feel that, well, because I'm Muslim, I can't do this or I can't do that. No, you can be a Muslim and you can do whatever you want. I think that's been really important in my household because my daughter, I have one daughter, three boys. Um, she's seven and her career goal is to be a swim teacher. My reflexive answer, I didn't even have to think about it, was, well, of course, if that's what you want to do, that's what you can do, baby girl, because you know, you're a good swimmer, you love it, we'll make it happen for you. So that's been really important in our household, not to set our kids on one path. I came home from the hospital being told that I was going to grow up and be a doctor. So I did not want that for my kids. I'm like, you need to have choices. There's so many opportunities. Like think of the things you're missing out in high school and college when we set them on one track and we say, this is the way you go. That's how you have to do it back home. I think at 14, 15, you have to decide at least in the subcontinent that you're going to be an arts person, which means you could go to business or art humanities, or you're going to be a science and math person, which is basically the engineers and the doctors. Um, our kids are not limited by anything and certainly not by their religion. I say, give your kids all the opportunities in the world. Um, and I, I love that Muslims of the world is bringing that to them. Let's, um, go ahead and move on to some of this research 
that Muslims of the world was associated with. Because I, when I saw your book presentation, this is what what really shook me to the core. Like I was so frightened after I heard some of this stuff. Um, you know what ended up happening is, you know, after we started the page Muslims of the world, the idea was to solve this, you know, so this this problem of trying to figure out what's going on with the Muslim youth. Well, in order to do that, we had to first kind of you know analyze the Muslim youth and talk to the Muslim youth and survey the Muslim youth to figure out what are their thoughts because you know oftentimes you know these solutions that are brought to the masjid are, are brought to you by 40 50 year old moms and dads who don't even know how to control their own kids so what we ended up doing is we sent sent out a bunch of surveys to the social media following that i had at the time so that was probably month three, month four of me starting the page Muslims of the World. And at that time, I had about 20,000 followers. So these are 20,000 Muslims, youth. Uh, some of them are from Canada. Some of them are from Europe. Some of them are from America. But mostly in that age range of anywhere from, you know, 14, 15, all the way up to maybe 23, 24. So we sent out the survey, and we had a lot of surveys come back to us. And we asked questions like... Um, are you suffering from anxiety? Are you suffering from depression? Are you uh, are you using drugs or using alcohol? Um, do you feel that Islam is um, contributing something really great to your life? Do you feel like a sense of belonging? All these things. And here are four of the bullet points that we ended up, you know, um, coming across. Um, six out of ten Muslim youth were feeling depressed and or anxious. Four out of ten Muslim youth were involved with drugs or alcohol. Four out of ten Muslim youth felt no sense of belonging. And three out of ten Muslim youth felt Islam wasn't contributing anything to their life. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to do a, a, an entire data an, a, a, analysis to see this in your own community. Just go to the community and talk to the local moms and dads and figure out what their kids are struggling with. And you'll realize that these statistics are true and there needs to be something done in a very swift and uh, efficient way for us to get the Muslim youth back on the right track. And I love first that y'all went to the kids and you asked them, hey, answer these questions. How many surveys was it that were returned? We probably, we sent out, it, we sent it out to 20,000 people. And I think uh -huh. we had about somewhere between eight to nine thousand returned second thing that i love we can see this in our own communities we see this in our sunday schools where there's disengagement and then the kids aren't engaged in the homework or the classwork is just so dull and boring where you're just going and reciting madrasa style you know quran um, and there's no instruction on how to apply these principles in your life i think it's not super relevant to the kids and unless it's something they can hold and smell and use those five senses it just doesn't apply to them anymore. Based on your research, what did Muslims in the world come up with to address these statistics? There's things in this country and actually all over the world that are making that are working so hard to make Islam and Muslims look like such an ugly thing that after a while, your young Muslim boy or girl who is in high school who's struggling with maybe her hijab or struggling with praying at the you know at school. After a while, they're going to start thinking that Islam is a hindrance. And then when you add all this Islamophobia stuff to the picture, they're going to say, man, you know what? This Islam is ruining my life. It's Islam that's doing this. 
So what I wanted to do, and so we, we, we put a big claim that Islamophobia is a big contributor to why a lot of the Muslim youth are so embarrassed to be Muslim. So what we wanted to do is, how do you combat Islamophobia? And I look at Islamophobia as just one giant marketing campaign. You see, you know, an attack on Muslims in Hollywood. You see an attack in Muslims on TV. You see an attack even on billboards. Billboards saying, I mean, we drove past a billboard in Indiana that had all these horrific things to say about Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And they spent about, I I went to that billboard to see how much they spent. It was $30,000 a month. And it was up for two months. So there's organizations that are dishing out $60,000 to put up a billboard in Indiana out of all states. And they're probably all over the country, but I saw this one in Indiana. So people are working hard to make Islam look ugly. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to show the beauty of Islam and the beauty of Muslims. So we started sharing these beautiful stories about Muslim people. And we started to do like, you know, mission trips and go out there and change people's life just uh, two weeks ago. You know, we saw this video uh, that was brought to us about this bus driver in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, who he was just driving the bus and two men walked on the bus and just started punching him in the face over and over again. There were young Muslim girls. It was from an Islamic school in Ann Arbor, a multicultural academy. And there were young Muslim kids, little girls sitting on the back of the bus watching their bus driver just get destroyed. And we saw this and we shared it on Muslims of the World. We shared the story. And within 24 hours, we raised $22,000. And the bus driver had no idea. We then flew to Michigan and we handed him like a $20,000 check. And he, I mean, just started crying in tears and tears. And, and his, his thing at the end when we asked him, the news, the news came, Channel 7 News came, Channel 2 News came, Ann Arbor, Michigan News came. And they asked him, what do you have to say about all this? I mean, that, that Muslims from all around the world came and you know, donated this money to, to help you. He said, Allah is the most just. So, you know, I mean, you, this is what we do at Muslims of the World, and we're just trying to push out good work and, and show the beauty of Muslims, show the beauty of Islam. And really what you saw right there was the generosity of Muslims. Um, and Muslims are some of the most generous people in the world, I think. So, you know, when we showcase that, people watch that and they say, wow, look at, I mean, the news could not believe that Muslims from all around the world raised $22,000 for this bus driver in Michigan who just got beat up by two random men. I'm upset, but not surprised, I guess, that the media would be so surprised because look at how much money Muslims from around the world, again, raised after the Pittsburgh massacre at the synagogue, right? So Muslims do incredible work all the time. We always have, like every Ramadan, you know, our moms taking their jewelry off to fund something, you know, but the media has not sold that and they haven't sold it for at least two decades, basically since 9-11, we've seen this happening. Um, and they're not going to sell it. They're not going to show it. It's interesting because people, some people message me. We had tons of people love the project. Tons of people love the project. But then we had two, three people message me. Was it really necessary to print off a huge check and turn this into this, this marketing event for Muslims of the world? And I said, (laughs) and I actually responded to her, listen, it's not about showing off. It's about literally we need to show the world the beauty of Muslims because we are a hated group of people because we never get positive uh, publicity. So unless we Muslims start taking that publicity into our own hands, and that's really what Muslims of the World is. Muslims of the World is a giant PR firm for Muslims and for Islam. And we all I want to do is just show the beauty of the Muslim people. And if that means we have to show off every good deed that we do to let other people know the beauty of us, well then I'm okay with doing that because you know at the end of the day, in the ma'amalu bin niyat, 
uh, your uh, actions are by your intention. And our intention is to really elevate Islam and elevate the Muslim community. The reason I, I, I was so passionate about this is because still to this day, I don't see any organization in America, Muslim organization, showcasing the beauty of Islam. I mean, really, I don't see anything. I know there's grassroots groups that are doing the work, but a lot of it is interfaith and get to know your neighbor stuff, but nothing, like you said, again, public. I, I want to see something powerful. I, I used to be part of interfaith as well, but, you know, having three white people come to your masjid who are already open-minded about Islam and telling them about Islam isn't really actually doing anything, unfortunately. I I don't want to say we should stop doing that, but it's not having a huge impact, and that's what we need right now. We need to start thinking, how can we have a huge impact, not just change how Peter and Johnny from down the street think about us? Is that what you think is the key to establish the Muslim American identity is public relations? Like that's how we need to do it? Go look at, we don't need to think that. Go look at, uh, go look at Muhammad Ali. Go look at uh, when Tupac Shakur started talking about Islam. All of a sudden, Islam and Muslim, it was cool to convert to Islam. It was cool to say Allahu Akbar. Even now, if you go look at uh, in the hip-hop and rap culture, you will still see Nicki Minaj and these other rappers who like are like, you know, ride with the mob, alhamdulillah. You know, I mean, they're saying these things and they're saying it because they know that is what's cool. And then you have people that are literally um, rapping, alhamdulillah, bismillah. And so it's... It, it really is. I actually do think that we have to work on making Islam, um, quote unquote, cool. Now, I'm past that stage of what's cool and what's not. But what does your 12 year old son think? What does your 13 year old daughter think? They're still in that mindset of, well, this is cool. This is popular. This is Instagram worthy. So that is what they care about. So for me, you know, when I go and I speak at these schools, for example, uh, with these young students, the minute I start kind of talking about cool things, popular things, all of a sudden, they're all about it. But the minute I start talking about, well, this is the tafsir for this surah, they're like, boring. Like, I want to go to sleep. So, you know, I mean, boring. yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it is like, well, you we have to kind of get in the minds of our young kids and, and see what they think is cool. Um, even using the term, these certain terminologies, is it, it relates to them. It, it's going to be tough. For those people, um, it's going to be tough to wrap your brain around this for those people who, you know, and I know many people like this. I've been people like this who don't even listen to music. Um, I don't want my kids exposed to this culture in America. I don't want them exposed to these rapper shoppers. And, you know, this is haram. And I don't want to show them DJ Khalid, who he wears a gold necklace. Oh, my God. Like, how can I teach this to my son? And my my understanding now is there is benefit in everything. And if there wasn't, Allah would not have made it. Um, There are good things that these people wearing gold chains and gold teeth and maybe doing some funny stuff like with some plants that we're not supposed to do on the side. But what what are they achieving at the same time? And I'm not talking about monetary. I'm not talking about what's in this dunya. I'm talking about the influence that they're having over the culture. And I think that's something that we need to take back as Muslims because there was a time when I would pray on the volleyball court because it was time to pray or I would pray in the locker room and it was like revered. It was like, hey, Uzma, don't forget to make the, uh, don't forget to ask your God to like, let us win the volleyball tournament. You know, we were special. We were cool. And then 9-11 happened. And now I, that same person, me, who used to pray in a gym, who used to pray in a parking lot, who used to pray in the median of a road because I needed a place to pray. I pray in my car because I'm with my children. And so many women who are very noticeably Muslim get targeted and their kids happen to be there. I mentioned to you, like, kind of like these old celebrities. We have, um, 
you know, Kevin Gates, he's a rapper. And he has maybe 10 million followers on Instagram. And now he literally posts video. He's like tattooed, covered up in tattoos, was in prison. He converted to Islam. And now this guy who's getting... He has 10 million, he's getting 10 million views on his videos. He puts up Instagram stories where he says, I am nothing, Allah is everything. I bear witness that there's no God but Allah. And I mean, this guy, now he still has pictures with women. He still has tattoos on his face. He's not a perfect Muslim, but you know what? That message is now being sent out to 10 million people. You name me one scholar in America who's reaching out to 10 million people uh, like that. None. I mean, you yeah. go look at the scholars following on social media. Nobody even follows them. Half these scholars that we find so famous, nobody's even following them. But your kid is following Kevin Gates. He's following the basketball players that are like really influential. So, you know, there's wisdom in us, us at least appreciating them. Because, you know, I see a lot of Muslims on social media attacking the rapper. You know, how can yeah. you say, you know, you bear witness that there's no God and you have tattoos on your face and... I'm just like, man, we don't need to be uh, saying that now tattoos is okay or that g- women are okay or that all gold chains are okay. But uh, respect and appreciate the fact that he is giving our religion some, you know, a shout out. It's things like, you know, so many of us grow up with some form of Islam, a lot of cultural baggage with Islam. You know, a lot of times we practice it the way our parents taught. And then we all have this kind of, there's this phase in college where we all become really zealous and really close to Islam and super judgmental about anybody who doesn't practice it our way, right? So then we grow up and, you know, we have our families and stuff adjusts. So it's it's such a blessing from Allah, this wisdom of growth, like allowing us to grow and allowing us to grow through these stages. Um, and be willing to reflect and say, maybe I wasn't 100% right when I said, oh, that person doesn't pray five times a day, so they're kuffar. You know, like I had the cojones to say that about another Muslim before, whereas now I know that that's not okay. I know now that Dave Chappelle is so raunchy, but look at that. He's a DL Muslim who like takes Hajj groups every year. Well, yeah, he tells bad, dirty, raunchy jokes, but you know what? Allah invites him to his house pretty much every year. So what does he have that I don't have? I need to smell my own collar before I go sniffing in somebody else's. That's something my mom taught me. And that's something you learn as you have children. It's not black and white. There is a wisdom behind what Allah created, even in the imperfect beings that he created. There is perfection in that plan. And we need to trust it and we need to teach it to our kids. Um, And I love that you have a variety of different kinds of Muslims that you are um, showcasing on Muslims of the World. Is there anyone that particularly stands out that you can share with us that may or may not be in the book? I will share with you what I think is what was my personal favorite story um, that I've covered so far on Muslims of the World. And this story ended up getting maybe 50, 60 million views. It went viral on social media. In 1979, there was a Syrian family that lived in Syria And, you know, it was a father, a mother, and three daughters. And they were kind of getting to the point. Syria was kind of starting to get a little shaky. They said, you know what? Let's go to America uh, for a new beginning. So the father told the wife and the three daughters, listen, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to set everything up. And then two weeks later, to his wife, you and the three daughters, pack your bag and come meet me in California. So... The father went there, two weeks passed, then the mother told the three daughters, pack your stuff up, we're going to go to California. So they fly from Syria, land all the way in New York City. And in New York City, at that time, the customs said to them when they were greeted, hey, it's your first time in the country, you guys have to take, you know, green card photos, uh, so we're going to need you to take your hijabs off and take these photos. 
Now, you have to really put yourself in the situation. I mean, to really have the story be impactful, you have to really put yourself in this situation. So you have a mother, a Syrian mother, with her three daughters. There's no husband. There's no father. He's already in California waiting for them. They don't really know English. They don't know the, you know, the, the cultural norms of America or how the system works. They don't know anything. They have very few items. They're scared. They're intimidated. So the mom agrees to take her hijab off, takes the photo, puts it back on. And then she tells the other three daughters, do as I say, do what I did, and go ahead. Oldest daughter takes her hijab off, takes the photo, puts it back on. Uh, next daughter takes her hijab off, takes the photo, puts it back on. But the third daughter, Hala Atik, that is her name, she, it was her turn, and she said to the security and the customs that I'm not taking my hijab, hijab off for this photo because hijab is part of my Islamic faith. She's 13 years old, and then... She then tells them that statement and they look back and they're kind of taken aback from this young girl because they're like, where did this come from? So, you know, they're kind of like, you know, haggling her back and forth, back and forth. And then they end up telling her, well, listen, little girl, if you don't want to take your hijab off, you can get on a plane and go back to Syria. And her response was, I would rather go back to Syria than stay in a country that's going to take away my hijab. So she was a little feisty thing. And they were like, whoa, they messed with the wrong little Syrian girl. So then her mom now is at that point where her mom is even frustrated with her because her mom's like kind of scared. They're like, what are they going to do? I don't know what they can do to us. Our father and husband's waiting for us. She's telling Hala, take your hijab off. Stop being stubborn. You're going to take your photo. You're going to put it back on. And then she goes and tells her mom no as well. So then... The security and customs take, takes young Hala and puts her in, in a back room. And then in that back room, she has, different, uh, she has different people come and different family members come and try to convince her to take her hijab off. So first the mother goes and she once again refuses to listen. Older sister goes, next sister goes. And then she says, you know, on the top of her lungs, it doesn't matter who you bring back here. I'm not taking my hijab off for anybody. So now it's, it's gotten pretty crazy. You got customs there. You have security there. You have management there. The whole family's there. Other people are watching. And they're all like, what's going on here? Two and a half hours pass of back and forth argument. And they finally tell this young Hala girl, you can keep your hijab on your head and you can take the photo. So Islam won that day. So she goes and runs and she takes the photo. It's a beautiful photo of this young little Syrian girl. And the mom is super upset right now at this point. So they grab their bags. They, like, they say, let's go catch our next plane so we can go see Baba. So they run to the next gate. And then they figure out they just missed their flight. So now the mom's even more upset. Because now she's like, we don't have much money we're coming here, we're like refugees, like we don't even speak English, what's going to happen, are we going to have to stay here, are we going to have to get a hotel, we don't have money for a hotel, all these things are running in this poor mother's mind. And then she goes back to the security and the management, they say, listen, this is what happened, you guys know what was the situation, and you know, we missed our, you know, we missed our flight. So of course now the security and management is happy, because they're like, yeah, that's what you get for not listening to us, but then... She, they, they end up saying, well, hey, listen, we actually have a flight that will take you from uh, New York to LAX tonight at around 8.30, 9.30 30 p.m. We'll, we'll put you on that flight. So the mom says, alhamdulillah, the family's like, you know, a little happy. She's still upset, but they have their flight situation figured out. So 8.30, 9.30 rolls around. They jump on that flight. They land all the way in LAX airport. 
And when they land there, they're kind of like looking around, like kind of confused, hoping that their father slash husband is is somewhere there. And then they see him far in the distance, and he is running towards them. He's pushing people out of the way, and he's he's crying, and he has tears rolling down his face. And he's crying and crying, and he's like, you're alive, you're alive. And they're all looking at him like, yeah, why wouldn't we be alive? The flight that they were supposed to get on, American Airlines number 181, crashed, killing 270-something people. It was one of the biggest crashes in the airline history. And young Hala then looks up at her whole family and says, Hijab saved our family's life. So we shared this story on social media and it went, it spread like wildfire because, you know, even if you're not Muslim, that was a beautiful story about sticking with your morals, your religious values, your ethics. And that's once again, really the purpose of what we're doing at what we're doing at Muslims of the world. Stick with what you know is right and don't try to fit in. Don't try to change your ways. Now, the interesting thing is. I had my initial Indiana book launch on September 8th of uh, last year, and I ended up sharing the story, and I uh, had Hala Atik, the young Hala Atik, the Syrian girl, she flew in from LAX, she still lives in California, never got on an airplane again, she came (laughs) to my Indiana book launch, and she was sitting there, and after I told the story, I ended up saying that, hey, and this young Hala girl is with us today. And no, and everybody was shocked. And people were like, oh, you could hear the gasp in the crowd. And we had about 500, 600 people there. And this young Hala Atik girl stand, woman stands up. She's now a, an older woman. And the crowd gives her a standing ovation. And then I look her in the eye and I said, the reason I begged that you came to this event was because I have a story for you now. So after I shared your story on social media about a year and a half ago, 40, 50 million people ended up reading the story. And out of that 40, 50 million people, one was a Hispanic girl named Celine who lived in New York City. And she was on social media one day. She didn't know much about Islam, but she came across this post and it had all these views and all these likes and all these comments. So she said, what is this about? So she ended up reading this story and she was so moved by the conviction of this young girl that she ended up converting to Islam and she now wears hijab today as well. And what was interesting is that I invited that Celine girl to my Indiana book launch as well. And Celine and Hala Atik were sitting next to each other. They had no idea. So then I told Celine, can you please stand up? And then Celine stood up and Hala Atik was up and they hugged each other and it was so beautiful. Oh, that was and incredible. Um, yeah, it was an incredible moment. But, you know, I think that in life, you know, even Islamically, we know that our iman goes up and down. And sometimes all you need is a really good story to realign you back on that straight path. So our goal with Muslims of the world is to really get people back on the straight path, whether it's youth or even adults, because now we have a huge adult following that love these stories as well. And that's what we're trying to do. We're a young young group of individuals coming together, trying our best to show the beauty of Islam. That's just amazing. Like I have chills. I didn't know the Celine story. Maybe I'd forgotten it because, you know, mom brain, we have pockets of, of amnesia. Um, but had I heard that that night, I think I would have just totally lost that I was already such a blubbering mess, um, at your presentation. So, um, tell me today, what is Muslims of the world doing now? What are they going to do and how can we help? 
Yeah, so I think that um, right now what we are trying to do is, this is the thing, we need to get stories that are really good. We need to have photos and videos that are really good. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a team of like one photographer, one journalist, one videographer. And we want to be able to send them out in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, so that they can go and get amazing stories of Muslim people and bring them back to us. And then we pump them out on social media, which right now, social media can allow you to be more powerful than even CNN and Fox News if you if you know how to do it right. If something goes viral, you're getting more views than CNN and Fox. So Unfortunately, we Muslims maybe don't have enough money to create a powerful media entity like Fox or CNN, but we do have enough know-how and enough money to get things going viral on social media. And that could be exactly what can save us or change the way people look at us and see us. So we're trying to do that, um, and that's what Muslims of the World is focusing on. We want to push out a new Muslims of the World book once every single year. Our mission of collecting stories and sharing stories, it takes a lot of time. So we're not doing anything fancy. We're sticking with what works and what we've been doing, and we hope that we can obviously get support from you know Muslims that want to help donate, support it financially, so that we can get these photographer, journalists, journalists and videographers on payroll working full-time and getting more stories, which will allow us to have more content, which will allow us to have more of an impact. And if people don't have a copy of the book, they can buy it on Amazon, or is there any particular bookstore that you're affiliated with? Um, so there are a few Barnes and Nobles that have it and a few bookstores that have it. However, um, if you just put it on uh, Amazon, search Muslims of the World uh, on Amazon, you will be able to have it there. And I feel like that's a book that belongs in every Muslim home library. It is like nighttime reading. My son sleeps with it under his pillow. For those of you who don't know, Sajad is one of five sons. Now I find this so incredible because I was used to say that moms of three boys should go automatically to Jenna. Like you're just done because that's enough poop and urine on the floor to like grant you Jenna forever. But his mom had five. So I'm, I'm amazed by her. And until I meet her, I will stalk her and ask questions about her until she will actually be interviewed by me. I want to know Sajad, between the two of them, your parents, what were three things that they did right to raise five Muslim boys in America? Well, first off, you know, our brothers and I, we have our shortcomings as well, so we're not perfect. But, um, you know, my, my mom and dad, you know, they had a really good balance of, you know, making sure that we were serious about accomplishing things in this dunya and also making sure that we were on top of our Islam as well. So, you know, most of my brothers, um, you know, we all pray five times a day. We fast during Ramadan. We are... Um, uh, you know, we're all active in our Muslim and Masjid community. Um, and I think that that is very important. But the other thing is they really took the time to shape our personalities and like let us have very, like all five of my brothers, they're, all four of my brothers, they're all very funny, very charismatic. And, you know, a lot of that comes to allowing your son or your daughter to um, navigate, you know, different, you know, paths and be, let them be on different sports teams, let them be part of different uh, academic teams and, and let them learn how to create a personality for themselves and then if you create a good personality and it's embedded in you know the islamic roots that you have that your parents instilled in you then really you can do whatever you want in this world and and, and really be successful in this world and hopefully inshallah the next as well thank you so much sajad for joining us um opening our eyes to muslims of the world thank you so much Azma. all right take care it literally is muslims of the world he travels to these countries to find these people and feature their 
stories. This is really, really important work. If you want any more information on how to support the work of Muslims of the World, we're going to have some exciting features, um, exciting collaborative work to do with Muslims of the World and other organizations coming soon to you. So stay tuned to Mommying While Muslim Facebook page, Instagram, and website mommyingwhilemuslim.com. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next Thursday to another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum everyone.